It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. I'm Teresa. And I'm Colleen. We're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Hello, and welcome to Tangential Inspiration. You might notice that we're on a little bit different schedule. Yeah, it's been a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We are just having fun this summer. And just busy. And just busy. And some of it fun, some of it not as much I mean, fun, yeah. things that need to get done. Right, yeah. right, right. So this episode will be dropping tonight, obviously you're listening to it, and then our next one will be dropping on the 23rd of August. So look for us then, yeah. we're not leaving permanently, <laughs> we're just, just enjoying time having fun. And figuring out some fun stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. So today I am talking about the unsinkable Molly Brown. <gasps> oh, I'm so excited. I'm a big so Titanic excited. freak. Yeah. Another um, add to my list of things that I <laughs> enjoy. I think it's kind of like it's still archaeology a little bit, yeah, right? And I think that's why it's fascinating. To and me. I'm so excited to learn about her because um, yeah. who played her? In? Kathy, Bates, Kathy Bates, who was amazing. Yes, yeah, she's good in everything. <laughs> I know she is. Um, I'm going to talk some good news about malaria. Oh, interesting. Not malaria, but fighting malaria. And of course. Then a guy named Alex Hanasakta. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name. That's a hard one. That is just doing amazing things with his restaurant. Oh, okay. Yeah. Food. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. So I know here in the United States, we don't hear a ton about no. malaria. Thank goodness. Exactly. Practically mm-hmm. everyone has heard of it and knows sure. it by name and that it's a disease that people have in other countries. Right. But very few people know how devastating this disease has been. I don't know a lot about it. I have I, to, yeah, to you. I know. I really don't. I know. I mean, I the word. general. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Malaria is an infectious disease that's usually contracted through, we do know, mosquito bites. Oh, that's right. Both people okay. and animals can get malaria. Symptoms usually include fever, fatigue, vomiting, and headaches. In severe cases, it can cause jaundice, seizures, coma, and death. It's caused by parasites that get transferred from the mosquito into the human bloodstream, and eventually they find a home in the host's liver where they reproduce. Speaking of parasites, I'm listening to Rain Wilson's book, The Bassoon King. Oh. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to do a podcast on him. It's hilarious, and I think everyone needs to read that book. Oh, I I love it. There's some parasite discussion in that. (laughs) But anyway, the parasites interact with red blood cells throughout the body, causing the majority of the symptoms. In children, malaria can impact brain development, causing cognitive deficiencies, behavioral disorders, and epilepsy. The disease is found primarily around the equator in tropical and subtropical regions. This includes parts of Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Or Oregon next week. (laughs) Sadly, yes. Look it up, (laughs) y'all. In 2021 alone... There were 247 million cases of malaria. And out of those cases, there were about 619,000 deaths. Wow. That's more than half a million people per year dying from malaria. 95% of those deaths occurred in Africa. I guess I didn't realize it was still so prevalent. I know. I know. I didn't either. Children are particularly susceptible to malaria and have a higher mortality rate. In Africa, it's estimated that 2,000 children die from malaria each day. And that just reminds me of the commercials that you see that, you know, 
feed the children. It requires blood work to diagnose the disease, and in many of the poor areas that malaria affects, there's limited access to diagnose or treat. Malaria is treatable with some medications that help with the symptoms and possibly prevent the more dangerous symptoms. Unfortunately, a lot of these treatments are just too expensive for many of the people living in regions plagued by malaria. A lot of people living in these regions are just struggling to survive. Yes. So the use of mosquito nets and pesticides help, but the constant exposure to pesticides can impact both humans and the environment. So that isn't great either. Right. Since the disease affects poor countries, there has not been as much research into it as other diseases. Countries that have money fare better than other countries. The World Health Organization said that in 2021, China, who put a major effort into fighting malaria, pretty much wiped out the disease in China. Oh, okay. So it can be done. But once again, they have... Although I do feel like they have... More access in China to maybe technology and that kind of resources. stuff. Versus resources. Resources, yeah, I guess, exactly. is what we're looking for. Yeah. Versus like Africa. Exactly. So other countries don't have right. those right. available to them. Right. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which we talked about back in episode 11, has put in more than $250 million into the development of a malaria vaccine, new treatment drugs, and ways to control mosquitoes outside of toxic pesticides. These efforts have saved an estimated 5 million lives. My goodness. The good news is that there is a vaccine that's been approved as a safe and effective way to prevent malaria. In April of 2023, Nigeria approved a new vaccine developed at Oxford called R21. Wow, that is new. I know. Dang. I know. Exciting. Science. Yes. <laughs> this is huge in Nigeria, where one-third of the 619,000 deaths associated with malaria occur. A prior vaccine had only a 44% effective rate. Which probably at the time was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Better right? than nothing. Yes. But to bump up to 80. Mm-hmm. Serum Institute of India, who owns the license for R21, has expressed a commitment to producing 200 million doses annually. The World Health Organization sees this as a game changer, but has not yet approved it for widespread distribution as more testing is being done. Nigeria and Ghana have both approved the use of the vaccine, and a dozen more countries are waiting to approve. It's exciting news, for sure, for countries affected by malaria, but getting the vaccine out to people is still an issue. Many of the countries affected by malaria are also affected by childhood diseases that can easily be prevented by vaccination. Which we know. Absolutely. These yes. countries already struggle with getting their populations, especially kids, regular vaccines. We shouldn't even think about that. No, we I don't. Mean, we just we really don't. It, it doesn't even cross your mind. You just get it checked off before school and it was like when we were talking about water. Yeah. It kind of reminds yeah. me of that same thing. Like I know. just stuff that we just can't even wrap our heads around. I know. In the United States. Makes you so grateful. In a lot of cases, getting to a healthcare facility that administers vaccinations can mean a journey of several days. Just to get there. Right. Fortunately, several private organizations and charities are teaming up with public health agencies in many of these countries and creating traveling vaccination programs that help educate people about vaccinations as well as establishing traveling clinics to get people vaccinated. One such program, headed by a nursing team, has already administered over 2,000 vaccines to people living outside of areas that have health clinics. That's great. I know. In fact, some of the administration... Of vaccines in rural areas is based 
on the U.S. rural COVID response. UNICEF Associate Director of Immunization Ephraim Lamengo said the vaccine could help save almost 500,000 children who die in Africa each year from malaria-related causes. He said, for a long time, these deaths have been preventable and treatable, but the rollout of this vaccine will give children, especially in Africa, an even better chance at surviving. As supply increases, we hope even more children can benefit from this life-saving advancement. I just think it's so encouraging. Yes. Progress here. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. I know. Mm. We love the kids. Yes. Um. So with all the sad news about the submersible Titan. Yes. Um, so dear listener, I wrote this to you before my mm-hmm. surgery. So it's been a little bit <laughs> since it's like, it, it's not as heavily yeah. in the news as yeah. much right now. But for a while there it was. I know. And I think it's research. always going to remind me of that because the piano guys have, they're playing the Titanic song. Yes. I was playing that in class one day and right. it's just going to remind us. It is. Of, yeah. And they played it a lot during TikToks I watched. Mm. They would play the Titanic music. Oh, my gosh. While they were showing yeah. images of people yeah. looking for the Titan and everything. So, like we said, the Titanic was in a lot more of the news stories. Mm-hmm. So, honestly, one of the most heartbreaking interviews was with James Cameron, mm. who directed Titanic. Yeah. Much to my distress, is a 26-year-old movie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> just so you know. Just had to put that out there. Oh. And he said, much like the captain of the Titanic, Captain Smith, he didn't listen to the warnings that he was given. He had Mm. iceberg warnings in his pocket, but didn't slow down. Much like the captain of the submersible, that he did not heed the warnings either. It was a good Mm. but heartbreaking message Mm -hmm. to listen to smart people around you. Yeah, yeah. I think that was kind of Don't think you know more than the experts. That's right. That's right. So, anyway, when I was thinking about the Titanic and the movie, it it really was one of my favorite movies. When we first got married, that's kind of when it came out. Mm -hmm. So, just a sec. Yeah. They really did. the, The captain had notes of a iceberg in his pocket. Oh, yeah. They had been sending them over. Morse code. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. All night. Mm Mm-hmm. And he so just he said he, he knew. Okay. Yep, he knew. But I think he had some pressure to mm-hmm. steam ahead and get to port early. Mm-hmm. Early. Because it was their virgin voyage. Correct. And yeah. I think it was a big deal to be like, what if the papers yeah. were like, Titanic made it early. She yeah. was so fast. Mm-hmm. And I and I think there was just some pressure on him. Yeah. And it was his final voyage. He was going to retire. Oh, my gosh. Did you not know that? No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so mm. it was so funny, though, when it was one of the first movies that I remember having on DVD. <laughs> and my husband Four would come home from work yeah. every day, and it would be on. <laughs> and he was like, you know what happens at the end. <laughs> like I remember him just saying that, but I really loved that yeah. movie, and I felt like it was really well done. Yeah, it was very well done. Yeah. Very long, very long. Yes. Probably four DVDs. <laughs> right, I think it was actually two. Okay. <laughs> but who knows, yeah. back in the day, maybe yeah. it was four. <laughs> So one of my favorite characters was Molly Brown, who was played, like Mm -hmm. we said, by Kathy Bates, who I think is amazing. Yeah, she's good Um, in everything. I know. I love her in Big Big Theory as Amy's mom. Do you remember that? And what's the the water boy? She's the mom in the water boy. Is she? Yes. Oh, my gosh. She's hilarious in that. Yeah. So she actually played. And in The Office. She's good in The Office, too. I need to watch The Office. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. No. So she played a real Titanic passenger actually named Margaret Brown. And Margaret was born in Hannibal, Missouri in 1867. And she didn't come from a 
a wealthy world. I know in Titanic it's funny because they say new money. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't I, if, yeah. if you if you know what that means, new money means you actually earned it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old money is stuff you've inherited. Yeah. Yeah. So when they were like, "Oh, she's new money." I was thinking Like it's a bad thing. I know yeah. cuz she worked for it. Yeah. Wow, it's just the so opposite funny. to yeah. me. That's a good so thing. So funny yeah. that she was not wealthy. She was one of six children, two of whom were from parents' previous marriages. They lived Not very in a, common back in that no, day. No. To have a blended family. Yeah. Her family home was a, a small four-bedroom cottage, and she attended a local private school where she was taught by her aunt. And she graduated at the age of 13 with an eighth-grade education, which I'm sure was normal, mm-hmm. especially for a girl or mm-hmm. woman at yeah. that time. And she went to work at the Garth Tobacco Company. <laughs> I know. It was located in the center of her hometown. She's believed to have worked as a tobacco leaf stripper. I'm assuming just taking the leaves mm-hmm. off the stock mm-hmm. is what I'm mm-hmm. thinking. But she never wrote or spoke much about her experiences. Mm-hmm. And at the age of 18, she began working for a local department store. And she met her husband there, J.J. Brown. He was a local mining foreman. And they were married. And she said, I wanted a rich man, but I loved Jim Brown. Oh. <laughs> She said, I thought about how I wanted comfort for my father and how I had determined to stay single until a man presented himself who would give to the tired old man the things I longed for him. It's her dad. Jim was as poor as we were and had no better chance in life. I struggled hard with myself in those days. I loved Jim, but he was poor. (laughs) Finally, I decided that I'd be better off with a poor man who I loved than a wealthy man whose money had attracted me. So I married Jim Brown. (laughs) More reason to admire Miss Molly. I know, she's so cute. Soon after marrying, the Browns moved into a two-bedroom cabin in Colorado, which was closer to the mines, because remember, that's where her husband worked. And she began taking reading and literature classes with a tutor, especially after married. And they welcomed their first child, Lawrence, known as Larry. And then two years later, they had Catherine, which is so funny, known as Helen. (laughs) I know. Okay. I love names back then. Like, how did you get from one to the Catherine other? To I always, I want to know. So, and they relocated to a bigger home and they lived a comfortable, modest life. But then JJ unearthed a new way of retrieving gold from a mine. Oh. And it was significant. So, thanks to the discovery, he was given 12,500 shares Oh, of the, of the, of the mining. this product oh. that he, that he helped create. Yeah. And he was on the board of directors and this made him a very rich man. With a stroke of good fortune, the Browns effectively became what was known as new money. As we discussed, yeah. meaning their wealth was acquired rather than inherited. Which it just always floors me when you watch things that they act <laughs> like money. that's such a terrible, yeah. I know. They're terrible, awful, you know. I know. It reminds me of Downton Abbey. It's one of my favorite scenes where... Matthew says something about, well, I'll have weekends. And Maggie Smith, you know, she's like, mm-hmm. what's a weekend? Because he was working. <laughs> yeah. And and men back then, the rich, just, they didn't, didn't work. work. No, I know. That blows my mind. It's one of my, Maggie Smith yeah. has the best lines. Before JJ struck gold at the mine, Margaret worked in soup kitchens to help local mining families. She's even believed to have been involved in the Colorado chapter of the National American Women's Suffrage Association. Oh, She was just awesome. I just love her. And I honestly still see her as Kathy Bates in my head. So who knows if she was, but I really like her. So she continued her charitable work after the family relocated to Denver and purchased a Queen Anne-style home for 30000 
Oh, my gosh. (laughs) She later became a charter member of the Denver Women's Club, joined the Political Equality League. Oh. I know. Helped create Denver's first animal shelter, which is still in existence today. Oh. Yep. And collaborated with Judge Ben Lindsay to put one of the first U.S. juvenile courts into motion. Hmm. Because remember, I think things were pretty oh, harsh back then, the, okay. even for children. They yeah, were like, so you they steal would, something, you... They would go to... Right, adult. probably okay. a harsh prison or something like that. So, Brown also ran for political office several times, including a bid for a Colorado State Senate seat, although she didn't win. In the well, immediate aftermath... Well, shocking, she was a woman. I know. Yeah, who, yeah let's be realistic. How dare you? Yeah. In the immediate aftermath of the Titanic tragedy, she even offered to volunteer for the Red Cross as a war nurse and purchase medical supplies for World War I field hospitals. Apparently, though, despite their newfound wealth and opportunities it afforded them, the marriage between Margaret and J.J. was fraught with disagreements. And he suffered a stroke Aww. that left him paralyzed. While he recovered, his health was never entirely the same. And years later, a friend of Margaret's claimed he experienced peculiar delusions and was constantly pulling the family hearse as a chief mourner. I know, I know. It just makes me wonder if it wasn't dementia or something back then and they just didn't didn't know. know And I think with strokes, sometimes that can bring that on if part of your brain is damaged, right? Teresa's better at this than (laughs) me. But so, yeah, no, and they didn't know back then. They just didn't know. Privately, the couple reached a legal separation in August of 1909 with her gaining ownership of the Denver house they'd shared, as well as a $25,000 trust fund. They never legally divorced. Hmm. Apparently they were devout Catholics and remained married until JJ's death in 1922. So with her so marriage... So how long did they live? They So they hmm, separated... 1909 to 1922. Okay. Yeah. So Quite a while. Some, I yeah, know. That's a long time. I know. So because of her marriage was over, she began traveling. She visited Egypt with John Jacob Astor and his new wife, Madeline, which mm-hmm. is shown in the Titanic, and then went to Europe. While she was in Paris with her daughter, she received word that her infant grandson was ill and decided to head back to the U.S. to help her son. And so she booked passage on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. So that's where she was going. Mm-hmm. So it was unusual for the times for a woman to travel alone and a fateful choice that would change the course of her life. That just blows me away. Yeah. <laughs> dare you travel, travel alone. alone. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> While many myths persist about Brown, her actions on April 15th, 1912, the night the Titanic sank, are not counted among them. In an interview with the New York Times published less than a week after the sinking, she recounted her experiences claiming that at first, the whole thing was so formal that it was difficult for anyone to realize that it was a tragedy. And for those of you that haven't seen the movie or don't know a lot about the Titanic, it was really interesting how they handled it because they weren't really telling people she's going to sink. It was really kind of a last minute. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're going around knocking on doors, put on your life jacket and the band will keep playing and we'll see how this goes. You know, it was a little bit more like that. Rather than get on the lifeboat. Get on the lifeboat. Now, I remember <laughs> hearing that they had so many lifeboats that weren't full. That, and they didn't have enough for everyone. Oh, yeah, definitely not so enough So both things happened. Of, yeah. You know, they were putting 12 people on yeah. a lifeboat that could hold 60. So they didn't have enough, yeah. and they weren't filling them enough. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it was just there wasn't proper training that yeah. was given and everything else. Well, so, she was unsinkable. She was unsinkable. Yeah. Yep. Yep. While others chatted on deck and laughed as the first lifeboats were deployed in the water, 
Brown soon began helping out other women into a lifeboat. Somehow, she said, I did not seem to care about the thing of being saved. Hmm. She was helping save yep. them. Yeah. It wasn't until two American merchants practically threw her into lifeboat number six that she was rescued herself. She said, I owe my life to them. Hmm. Brown spent a total of seven hours on lifeboat number six and noticed quickly that it could have carried several more. Quartermaster Robert Hitchens, who was in charge of the boat, was determined to row away from the sinking steamer. Brown told the Times that she took off her life jacket, reasoning she'd rather drown quickly than stay afloat in the freezing cold water, and grabbed an oar herself, then later made the other passengers row (laughs) as it helped keep them all warm, which is true. It was a really cold night, cold and clear night. Hitchens was reluctant to return to search for survivors, although there was plenty of room on the Mm -hmm. boat. He told us we had no chance. After he explained that we had no food, no water, and no compass, I told him to be still or he would go overboard. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just love it. Shortly thereafter, other lifeboats became visible, and by dawn, Brown and her fellow Titanic survivors could see that they were surrounded by icebergs. Brown recalled saving one man from the wreckage, whom she then put to work with rowing, (laughs) and even placed some of her own clothing around him for warmth. The other passengers aboard lifeboat number six referred to Lady Margaret as the strength of them all, for her bravery in the face of the disaster, and with that, the legend of the unsinkable Molly Brown was born. Before Brown boarded the Titanic, she had bought herself a small turquoise-colored statue in Egypt as a good luck charm. In gratitude, she later gave the small token to Captain Arthur Henry Rostron of the RMS Carpathia, the ship that rescued the the Titanic castaways. As part of the Committee of Titanic Survivors, Brown also helped present Rostron with a silver cup as well as gold, silver, and bronze medals to him, his officers, and the crew in honor of their heroism and service. He kept Brown's good luck charm for the rest of his life. Upon being rescued by the ship RMS Carpathia, Brown proceeded to organize a committee with other first-class survivors. The committee worked to secure basic necessities for the second and third-class survivors and even provided informal counseling, which I was like, whoa. Way ahead of her time. Yes, early 1900s. Yep. Margaret's fame as a Titanic survivor helped her promote the philanthropic and activism issues she felt strongly about. She was concerned about the rights of women and workers, education and literacy for children, historic preservation, and commemoration of the bravery and chivalry displayed by the men aboard the Titanic. Mm, which Dur- I have heard. Yes. That- yes. During and after World War One, she worked in France with the Red Cross, and later with the American Committee for Devastated France, to help wounded French and American soldiers and rebuild areas behind the front line. She was actually awarded, which kind of is made me laugh because I think sometimes my perception is French don't really like Americans. Right, right. right. <laughs> Dear listener, I could be wrong, so don't come. <laughs> Let us don't know. Don't come Let for me. Let us know. We want <laughs> yeah, to know. Yeah. She was awarded the French Légion d'Honneur for her activities. In 1985, she was inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. 1985? 1985. Took her a while. Yes. This is so cute, and I did not know this. The theme park Disneyland Paris features a 19th century riverboat attraction, the Molly Brown Riverboat, named after her. I think we should go to Paris and check that out. I didn't even know there was a pictures. Yeah. You didn't know there's Disneyland Paris? Paris. No. Yeah, there is. Do we have any listeners that are in 
parents that want to go take pictures of this and I know. send it to us, please? The Molly Brown Riverboat. Oh, cool. I know. So she cool. was a really neat lady and just so far ahead of her time. Yeah. I was just so impressed. Like I said, I've always loved her in the movie. And I love how she helped Jack in the movie yeah. and stuff. And, and like, so, girl power before it was even yeah. girl power. Yeah. And Not caring that he was, I'm putting in quotes, third class. Yeah. There just and, to help him and, and build him up. So. And I can't, I did have to look up her picture. She, I can see why Kathy, Kathy Bates. Bates made a good Molly yep. Brown. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. I love that. Me too. So we have this little dinner group of eight to 10. Well, as Colleen pointed out, right. eight being realistic. Right. And it's an idea that we actually copied from my in-laws. They used to have this dinner club that they attended with friends. I think they called it gourmet oh cute um it's basically like a potluck but the host provides the recipes for everyone that's attending to bring right so colleen hosted the last one and switzerland was the theme right my mom is from there yeah so it was perfect you had your switzerland cookbook yes um, (laughs) from my mom to get the recipe for that chocolate mousse oh my gosh that was so good that was amazing yeah so good. Take your latte. <laughs> <laughs> I did. But we had the best time just sitting around the table oh talking. Oh my gosh, we didn't have fun. I yeah. had so much fun just learning from each other, mm-hmm. enjoying each other's company. And one of the ladies said they wanted to try the Philippines. Mm-hmm. When they said that, Colleen noted she wanted to try her hand at pho. Yeah. Which... And banh mi. Yes. Which I, I, yes. I, it totally reminded me about the chef that I'm going to talk about named oh, I'm Alex Hanasokta. He reminded me of our dinner group for a number of reasons. First off, his restaurant must offer a fried chicken banh mi. Oh, yum. <laughs> so, that, that we had talked about in a future dinner. I already ate dinner, but I think I could <laughs> find room for that. Uh, I know. I always can find room for that. Yeah. The pickled veggies. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So good. But more importantly, Alex reminds us how food can cross divisions when words can't bring people together. Right. And that's what I had so much fun with, you know, at our last dinner. It's just chatting mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. With food. Alex and his family were refugees from Laos. His father fought in the Vietnam War alongside, you know, the United States. Right. I wasn't aware that there was a secret war, actually, in Laos. No. The CIA, and it's, that's what it was called, secret war. Oh, okay. Google the secret war. Okay. The CIA, in its effort to destroy communist supply lines between Laos and Vietnam, conducted bombings. And apparently, the Laotian civil war was between the communist leaders and the Lao government, and it lasted 16 years. Wow. So, from 1959 to 1975, it's also associated with the Vietnam War and the Cambodian civil war. Fortunately, Alex Hanasakta's family was sponsored by a church, and they moved to Burlington, Wisconsin. Because isn't oh that goodness. where you think? I know. That sounds cold. <laughs> I know. They bear- but I'm sure. Oh, I'm oh, sure also can- Sorry, just had a random thought. Jeez. Super hot Vietnam to yeah. really cold Wisconsin. Oh, yes. Like I know. that would be a huge I know. change yeah. too. Not only just yeah. the United States, but the wow, from one extreme and, to the other. Yeah. I'm sure they didn't have the clothes, the proper attire right. for it. Right. They barely spoke English. They were the only Asian family for miles. Wow. They would invite neighbors over for a Lao barbecue where they would buy, butcher, and prepare their meat, as he said, nose to tail. Wow. So they, like, didn't waste anything. His father and mother both prepared traditional Laos foods that would, 
you know, help break barriers between neighbors. Right. Just He talked about how people now will complain to him about immigrants and refugees. <laughs> and he just, you know, questions where do they think he came from. Right. So, obviously, they don't see him in the same category. Right. But, right. Um, Alex has definitely made an impact in the United States. What started with his mom's egg rolls. Mm. I, I can guess, make room for those two. <laughs> always, <laughs> if I must. Always. His mom, I guess, to help make ends meet, would sell her egg rolls mm-hmm. at, back in the day, including at breakdancing competitions that he participated that in. It's random, and so, I love yeah, it. Totally <laughs> um, fast forward to today, and Alex is carrying on the tradition. He teaches both Laos history and about their culture with his food okay. in his restaurant. Since it was the medium that broke through, for him, when he was growing up in Wisconsin, he decided to go with it. And he started up a pop-up food truck and then eventually a brick-and-mortar building. Now, keep in mind, this was during COVID. Oh, okay. So, how many restaurants started during COVID? Oh, my gosh. So, his restaurant is called Sap Sap, which apparently translates to delicious, delicious. Kind of like <laughs> our nom nom. Yep. The beautiful thing is that the restaurant offers any U.S. veteran one free menu item per visit. Wow, that's awesome. I just think that's so sweet. He yes. also donates earnings to a nonprofit named WeHelpWarVictims.org. And that organization not only helps kids in Laos with education and books, but also helps remove non-detonated landmines and that's other big da- deal. It's huge. Wow. Which reminds me of Princess Diana right. always. Right. Non-detonated landmines and other dangerous weapons left behind from war. And I just think we need to chat about WeHelpWarVictims.org in a whole separate time because right. I think that nonprofit sounds amazing. I do too. As they point out, the organization saves lives and limbs and Alex will regularly donate profits from his sticky rice legger. I'm assuming that's a beer. Interesting. I know. Huh. I'm not a beer drinker. So no. I Still like fascinating. Rice. I know. I know. <laughs> Still fascinating. His philanthropic heart is huge, which this match, this works so well with Molly Brown. Right. He also helps feed those with food insecurity called Peng Peng, P-E-N-G, P-E-N-G, okay. which translates in Laos to lovingly care for. Oh, I love so he provides food for veterans and those down on their luck. What originally started is with him just providing you know, some food from his restaurant here right. and there. He now has a GoFundMe page where he's trying to get more people to help so that he can you know, increase their reach. Right, and he still has to make a living. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that's just, um, I heard an interview with him, and he was like, if I can, you know, they're not super wealthy by any means. They're just making ends meet. And for him to go ahead and help these people with, you know, limited funds, his point is that, picture if we all just chip in a little bit. Right. If he can do it, then people that make a lot more than him can definitely help. Right. He's already raised half of his $20,000 goal. So, That's obviously, fantastic. some people are, are helping out. And right. I just love, love, love the heart of this guy. I also admire how much he respects his parents. Yes. He had, like, on his um, Instagram page for Father's Day, he had this big, long thing about, you know, how much he loved and admired, admired. his dad. Yes. Mm, that's so sweet. He knows that his parents had a lot of hardships, and they endured that, and he appreciates that, and the lessons that it taught him in growing right. up. Right. Hard I admire that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I admire that he's keeping his family's traditions alive and sharing them with others. I love how he's helping others and encouraging others to do the same. So not just helping them, but he's also trying to promote others, you know, to get in right. there and 
and help out. Right. He talked about having a woman with four children come in to get some food, and she offered to help with, you know, she was going to pay with $20, just give what she had, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't accept it. And she started crying, oh. and he said he almost started crying. I bet, yes. So it's just, you, I mean, you know how it feels so good to help others, yes. big and small. Yes. And I admire that he's not only living that, but he's encouraging other people right. to do it too. Yep. So at some point, if I'm ever in Wisconsin, I want to go to Sap Sap. It's mm-hmm. um, 2343 Mead Street. And you can check out the sapsapeats.com. It okay. does have the Peng Peng Feeding Veterans Feeding Our Community. So that's the GoFundMe page. Okay. And then the organization wehelpwarvictims.org. All great things that you can go check out and learn For more sure. about this guy. He's yes. just awesome. Sure, I may be tuckered, and I may give out, but I won't give in. Molly Brown. We want to hear from you. Please email us your thoughts, story ideas, or just say hi at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com. Tell us about someone inspiring in your life, and like or subscribe to our podcast. It helps us out and helps others find us. You can find more information about us at our website, tangentialinspiration.com, Follow us on Instagram at Tangential Inspiration Podcast or find us on Facebook. Have a great week. Still drinking, thinking about that bomb me. <laughs> <laughs>